big beat manifesto goes, big beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. Most people just go around nodding to the last opinion they heard, don't they? I agree. Excuse me, Melvin. Is one of you getting in? Bye, then. Bye. Thanks for a lovely afternoon of French cinema. Au revoir, mon ami. Indeedy. This is all so fucking sophisticated. See you tomorrow. A demain. No, you demain. <laughs> Why is that funny? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the El Dude Brothers podcast, episode 47, A Beautiful Mind. My name is Sean, and I'm the Copernicus of the bum. And my name's Laura, and I've kicked it all. Easy like a Sonsag Morgan. Even the crack, Laura? Yeah, even the crack. But you love crack. I do love crack, but I don't want you to let me have any, even if I threaten to threaten <laughs> you with wood. With wood? <laughs> uh, I was going to say threaten to break your arm like a Kit Kat, and then I was like, oh, what's the bit about the wood? <laughs> How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. But yeah, I guess it was St. Hospital where you're talking about how like you got that awesome Super Hands and Mark interaction and you don't really see them. This episode also has a couple great Super Hands and It really Mark. does. Super Hands is, is very well utilized in this episode. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, I feel like that's been a running theme all of Season 7 is really, really good utilization of Super Hands. Yeah, I agree. How's your week been? Um, <laughs> It's been really interesting uh this is my first week of my diet i started a keto diet oh yeah how are you coping without the carbs um i'm doing good now that <laughs> so i'll be honest like i thought this diet was going to be a whole bunch of like snake oil because it just sounds like really crazy um like basically it's like controlled starvation almost and then your body is like oh let's use fat for energy instead of sugar it's called keto diet yeah and I thought it was all, like, going to be snake oil and stuff like that. But um, once you hit ketosis and you, like, start, you don't feel like you're food-deprived all the time, even though you're not eating as much food as you used to, like, it's really not that bad. I um, It's really weird for me hearing about ketosis because when I was um, pregnant with both my daughters, I ended up in hospital both times with dehydration and I couldn't, like, and I wasn't eating enough. And both times... The doctors would gravely say you've gone into ketosis and that was like a bad thing so to hear you say it like a positive <laughs> is really weird but i'm glad it's working for you yeah it's it's been interesting this is honestly and i'm kind of loath to admit this because it makes me sound horrible this is the most consecutive meals i have ever prepared for myself without <laughs> eating fast food in my entire life wow that's amazing um I guess it's just like a different culture over there for home cooking. Or you're just a lazy bastard. I don't know which way round this is. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> what did you uh what do you think of this episode? Yeah, I liked it. I I remembered it as being really, really funny. I did laugh a lot in some places, but it wasn't as consistently hilarious as I seem to remember it. I laughed a lot at the stuff with Jeremy and Zara. Didn't laugh a lot at the Dobby stuff. But then maybe that's just my natural hatred of Dobby coming out. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I think you and I, once again, unsurprisingly, have very similar um, opinions on this. Yeah. The Mark and Dobby stuff, I could almost kind of empathize with because I had kind of 
a similar not i didn't buy like a nine inch dildo or anything but like (laughs) i kind of i remember that there was a girl that i dated for a while where i had similar like you know concerns concerns with yeah i think everyone's been in relationships where they can identify with the kind of the the mark stuff that's going on so we'll talk about that when when we get to those scenes we can explain what's going on so yeah yeah um yeah and then uh so after i watched eurovision yesterday so once we're done with uh the episode we need to chat about eurovision because this was my first time ever watching eurovision you were a eurovision virgin yeah yeah also is today the uk mother's day no so that was in march it is the is it the u.s mother's day is the u.s and australia's day i think yeah yeah it's u.s mother's day today ah so yeah no as was back in march so i was gonna wish you a happy mother's day if it well fuck it happy mother's day from america (laughs) thanks it's always good to have have, have been told you know you're doing a good job as a mother so yeah All right, so we pretty much just kicked this episode off right with Mark and Dobby and they're post-coital and they're laying in bed. But, of course, Mark, the fucking neurotic, can't, you know, just have a good, you know, be enjoying the situation. Uh, He thinks that Dobby might be bored with him and, you know, that he's sexually, he's vanilla and... um. But he wants to be pistachio, slightly unpleasant, but novel. Yes, he says, first of all, maybe you should be Neapolitan. Do you have Neapolitan ice cream over there? Do you know what that is? Yeah, I'm not a fan. No, it's, I've never understood it. Like, if I wanted all my flavours mushed up, I would just have those three flavours mushed up. But I quite like pistachio, so maybe I'm the weirdo. Um, this really reminded me of a scene in series one when they're in the when Sophie and Mark are at the cottage for the weekend you know the uh, weekend that jeremy yeah. and whether the similar sort of thing is going through mark's head where he's thinking about yeah where he's thinking about whether or not um she like he should take his pants off because of his massive balls so uh yeah it definitely did remind me of that scene in episode one where he's concerned about getting undressed and everything so yeah, yeah i yeah the, nothing's changed really in the sort of seven years that have passed for Mark, yeah. Oh, poor Mark. Poor Mark. I mean, he just can't... I know Davi says it later, but he just can't ever enjoy nice things. No, he's he's really he's really inside his own head all the time, isn't he? That's the, that is the overriding personality trait of Mark, I think. Yeah, but he wouldn't be Mark without it. No, exactly. Um, he brings up the idea of booking a country house hotel for Dobby's birthday... She's surprised to hear this because he's working in a Mexican restaurant um, and thinks that they would be better suited to a Premier Inn and a bottle of supermarket vodka. <laughs> <laughs> or she offers to pay and Mark is like, no, fuck that. I'm the man here. I'm paying for everything. Yeah, he's refusing to to in- appreciate that feminism is a thing and has been for a while. Um, <laughs> he then he says that he's going to take her away and he's going to carry her over the threshold. Um, but then he says that he would appreciate it if she could drive because it's in Hereford. Yeah. Uh, how far is Hereford from where they're at? Um, not not ages away, but like probably a good 50 miles, I think. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I mean, I guess I could see why he would want her to drive. Yeah, let's have a look. London to Hereford. I assume, I'm assuming that there's no, like, train or anything like that that would get oh, you no, easily between point A and point B. 
Hereford is completely not where I thought it was. So I take that back. It's actually 134 miles. Uh, but it'd be much easier to get to on a train than it would be to get to by car because it's in it's on the edge of Wales. So I don't know what. Maybe it's cheaper to, to drive. <laughs> yeah, who knows? That's crazy. Yeah. After that, as they hear a knock at the door and uh, Dobby asks if she should get it because she has Mark's fluffy gown on and he thinks it's a toweling robe. Might not be incredibly stylish, but it is hugely absorbent. I've yeah. always wanted, I've always wanted one of these. And I was going to say, do you have one? Because I think it's the law in this country that all men they hit puberty and they are gifted one of these towering robes. I've never known a man who didn't have one, and the old actually Phil doesn't have one because he has got an aversion to them because his dad has one. So I think it's it's a very common thing for men in this country to own is the towering robe. They never get washed. They stand up on their own. They're so full of dirt. And yeah, all men have them. Uh, Nicole had one for a while. Yeah, my my mum and dad both had them, and my dad's I remember was black, and it was you could feel from the weight of it that it hadn't been washed since like 1958. It was disgusting. I think it has now been retired. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, um, so Dobby decides to go to the door because she's got the town in robe on, and. Uh, Mark, oh, she says as she gets up that Simon's mum isn't very well. And they have a conversation about this where uh, Mark thinks about how sad it is for her, her cool, good-looking ex-boyfriend who she strongly suspects was far better in bed than him to be having a hard time. And as he's thinking this, she calls through and asks if he's got some money and he thinks it must be the Bernardo's man come, to, come collecting with his charity box. Yeah, and then uh, as... As they open the door, there's a guy there, and he has, like, I don't know, a bunch of cleaning supplies and shit? Yeah, 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 cleaning supplies, exactly that. And uh, Mark is like, oh, God, I, you know, I don't really want to buy any of this stuff, but the dude makes him feel really bad. Yeah, you know, he, he says he, says, he, thought, uh, he saw it exposed on rogue traders, but he doesn't want to look bad in front of Dobby. Yeah, and... uh. So Mark ends up offering to get the fluffy duster, not the J-cloth, not the scour, not the uh, whatever the guy is selling. And he tells him he, it's 11 pounds. And Mark is just like, 11 pounds for a fluffy duster? Like, the fuck? But he graciously hands over the 11 pounds. While he's doing this, Dobby's like, oh, I'll go and make some coffee, Mr. Generous. I'd have just gone for the J class. Yeah, um, I'm with Dobby on this one. I would not be paying 11 quid for someone's dusters, but there you go. Can we also talk about what Mark is wearing in this scene? Yes, he's oddly just wearing a t-shirt, isn't he? And it's like a really long t-shirt too, and it's pink. Yeah, it's it's like a. It does look like a girl's t-shirt, but it it clearly isn't because it's it's massive and it's long on him. But it's a very odd t-shirt. I agree. Yeah, it's super weird, so... It yeah, reminds me know. of a t-shirt that my grandparents bought me back from um, Bondi Beach when they went to Australia, and it was like, I think I was about 12, and it was clearly meant for like a six-foot-five adult male. It was mad. And I remember my granddad getting out and being like, oh, we brought you this back from Bondi Beach. It might be a bit big. Well, it still wouldn't fit me now. It was massive, so it, it made me laugh. Yeah, Uh and Mark tries to, like, pull the, um, get the money back from the guy. And he's like, um, yeah, he's like, give me that money back. And the, um, the, uh, 
the dude who's doing the selling is like, get to fuck. And then they kind of scuffle a little bit and Dobby comes out and asks Mark if everything is fine. And Mark says things got a bit out of hand, but he took control. <laughs> yeah, this guy actually is a really, he's a, he's a sort of, he crops up on a lot of British things. He was in White Gold last year. Um, I think he's in the in-betweeners at some point. He's one of those sort of character actors that appears as a as a cockney in a lot of things, and he's he's very good at it. He does a very good he's a very good cockney foil to Mark's sort of polite guy who doesn't really want to have a fight with him. Yeah, I just I love this little part, especially Mark's like or Mark, you know, acting all like Billy Badass wearing <laughs> a pink shirt that like goes down to his like upper thighs. Yeah, yeah. Next scene we have we have Jeremy and Zara outside of a movie theater and Zara's like, "Oh, what did you think, Jeremy?" And you see a poster for Amelie in the background, so you kind of assume that that's the movie that they went to go see. And Jeremy just is like, "Wow, that's what I thought. Wowzers trousers." <laughs> Wowzers trousers is one of my favorite Jeremyisms uh, and I <laughs> I wrote it on a piece of work for one of my year tens earlier this year and it amused them so much that this is now my thing i write on their work if it's really good so wowzers trousers is my is my go-to thing if it's really blown me away if they've written a really good answer i write wowzers trousers now oh that's awesome <laughs> um jeremy says he loved the colors the woman it was all great amelie is a fantastic film what a fantastic film um have you seen amelie before I have, but years ago, because it wasn't out at this point, was it? It's much older than the, this episode. Like, they've gone to see a revival of Amelie. I think it was out when I first was at university, so about 2004, something like that. Oh, my God. Wow. You're you're a little off there. 2001. Oh, really? Okay. So, yeah, it's even older than that. So, yeah, they're at a revival of Amelie. Yes, I have seen it. I watched it when I was at university. Have you seen it? Yeah, but that's weird. Like, what the hell? Why would this movie be playing in a movie theater like eight years later? Yeah, I don't know. It must have been, it must have been like a an independent theater that was doing some sort of French cinema season or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was one of those ones where it was like a giant piece of shit early on, and then everybody was like, "Oh my god, you have to go see this movie!" Yeah, and then yeah, next maybe. Thing you know, everybody yeah. was clamoring for it to be released. Um, Zara says it's French, but you can easily work out what's going on most of the way through it. And <laughs> Jeremy agrees, but not particularly convincingly. Wait, do you think that they watched the movie in French with no subtitles? I wondered this. I wondered if they'd been to see a French language version with no subtitles. I hope not for Jeremy's sake. I mean, I guess maybe it would be a little more common for... I mean, because I think French is a language you know, as a neighboring country, I mean, I'm assuming anyways that there's French classes that you guys take? In yeah, we all do it at school, so I guess, but I still don't know anyone. Uh, no, that's not true. My mum could watch a French film with no subtitles, but she used to be a bilingual secretary um, and has got a French A-level. I don't know anyone else that could. Nicole's major is in French. Could she watch a French film without any subtitles? I don't know. Do I ask her? I don't, yeah, right. I really I really struggle to think of many people who could. So let's assume there must have been subtitles, for God's sake. Uh, Nicole said no, she would just know the random phrases, but not enough to know what was actually going on. Right, okay. That makes me feel better because I don't, I don't, I think there are very few people that could that aren't actually French. So there we go. 
Yeah, I just wanted to mute my mic instead of yelling loudly and <laughs> blowing out your eardrums. Um, they have this uh, really funny back and forth where Jeremy talks about, you know, hey, it's great how even though I'm an attractive guy and you're an attractive girl, we can just hang out like mates. Sara says, yes, just because I'm going out with Ben. And this starts kind of a running joke throughout this entire episode where anytime anybody says the name Ben, Jeremy just thinks the shit. Which is fair enough, I think, because Ben is a shit. Oh, Ben is a huge shit. He's a horrible person. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, he says just because she says just because I'm going out with Ben doesn't mean you and I can't be great buds. And uh, and then she lists all the things that they've got in common, the interests they've got in common: foreign film, fringe theatre, contemporary dance, and the silver people in Covent Garden who stand really still and pretend to be statues. Yeah, Jeremy adores enormously all of that, <laughs> and then he just brings up the fact that Zara runs a book group. And he says that's great because he loves difficult literature. Big fan of and, difficult literature. Yeah. And uh, Zara says, wow, another tick. I'd invite you to go, but we're full up at the minute. And he just kind of needles a little bit. And he says, does Ben, the shit, go? <laughs> and we find out that Ben hates reading. Not a massive shock, is it, that Ben hates reading? Um, she, he says, yeah, Jeremy then says that Ben's missing out on so much. Uh, so many people just plod through life thinking the same stupid thoughts in their tiny, predictable, identikit minds. Um, and then <laughs> she says, most people just go around nodding to the last opinion they heard, don't they? And he says he agrees, which is a great, a great, great line here. Oh my um, God, that line cracks me up every fucking time. <laughs> um, so then they part ways. Um, she says, thank you for a wonderful afternoon of French cinema. Au revoir, mon ami. Uh, and he says indeedy and thinks that this is all so fucking sophisticated. Yeah. And then uh, we get a really funny bit where she says, Adaman. Or uh, Jeremy says, I'll see you tomorrow. And she says, Adaman. And he's like, No, Udaman. <laughs> and I'm sure I probably pronounce that horribly. <laughs> uh, no, I think you're right, Adaman. Adaman, which means see you tomorrow, doesn't it, in French? Uh, yes, and, and he... I had to look that up just so I wouldn't be like, It's high German for cab or something <laughs> like that. And then uh, well, when she laughs at him saying, you demand, he thinks, why is that funny? So he <laughs> yeah. clearly didn't do French at school. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so the next scene, we are back at Apollo House and we've got Jeremy, Mark, and Superhands and they're all sitting around the, the kitchen and we just kind of come into the middle of it and Jeremy's like, what, you're off at all hands? Crack as well, but you love crack. It's your favorite. And much like me... Superhands has decided to stop putting all that poison and shit into his body <laughs> and especially his precious brain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> then uh, Jeremy asks since when and Hans says since Tuesday and something about the delivery of the line here by Matt King just makes me laugh every time. The way he says since Tuesday and we can only assume it's probably about Thursday so it's probably not been for very long. Um, no. <laughs> he then says that he had a road to Damascus moment. Uh, he crashed his van into a hedge and a voice in his head, which sounded like Brian Moore, who used to do the football results on ITV, said, pack it in some mugs game. And I think that that might be one of my favourite peep show lines ever. It always, always just makes me laugh. It doesn't matter if I've only just watched the episodes. Like today, I watched it twice in a row to get ready for this podcast. And I just think that's the best bit of the episode. Maybe one of the best bits of the series. You'll have to exp explain that one to me. Well, so I don't know if this is a thing that you have over there, but we 
and I don't know if we even have it anymore, but back back in the day when I was a child, um, the before we had the lottery, the the thing that used to people used to bet on was the football pool. So I don't really completely understand how it worked, but my dad did it and you would put money on certain teams winning or not winning. So it was really important to hear the football results. And Brian Moore was one of the guys who, he did it on ITV, and he would read out the football results, and he had a really like distinctive voice. And the idea that this distinctive football reading out results voice told hands to stop smoking crack just is brilliant. I love it. Yeah, I like Mark's response. Well, that's a very sensible, albeit hallucinatory, hallucinatory advice. <laughs> then Hans gives Mark his pipe and his last rock, and he says that he wants Mark to have it symbolically. Um, he wants him to keep it, and if I come and ask you for it, I just want you to tell me that I can't have it. And Mark says, okay. But then Hans says that he wants him to promise that he won't give it to him, even if I hit you hard with wood or grab your arm and bend it behind you till it snaps like a fucking Kit Kat. <laughs> uh, i just like mark's response when uh hands asks him to hold the pipe in the crack rock and mark just says i don't want it it's illegal <laughs> yeah i don't want it in my house um but mark you know doesn't ever really agree to this he's just thinking about the wood but uh but Han seems to take that as a yes anyway and calls him a legend yeah i really love how uh super Hans just is like legend you know like he's like mark's really doing him a favor here yeah yeah and uh, we then hear that super hands is uh the way that he's kind of coping with being off the crack is by finding other things to fill his time so the things he's doing are cycling running uh knitting cooking and that it's all easy he's finding it really easy because he's got all these other things to do <laughs> And he's not just knitting, he's knitting like an electric man. <laughs> like a fucking electric man. Um, he then asks if they've got any olives because he's gone mental for olives. And uh, Mark says no. We, and uh, before he can even finish saying anything, Superhands is like, shit, Jesus, where am I going to get the olives? I'm craving the salt. And Mark, you know, genuinely trying to be a nice guy, offers him salt straight out of the salt shaker. And <laughs> Superhands is like, no, no, I'm not going to go necking the fucking salt straight from the shaker, Mark. I'm not mad. <laughs> this, I think I've spoken about my friend before uh, on this podcast who is Australian. Uh, she is, she's really Australian. Like, she is, she's mad. She spent the last 10 years in London just being mad. And her most recent escapade was that she made the uh, national news because she married some guy that she'd known for, like, three weeks in India. He was Indian. It was the first time that a guy from this village had married a white person or that a white person had ever maybe even married anyone in the village. And she just is insane. She leads the maddest, leads the maddest life. And I remember once that we were all sitting around having a meal and she had a terrible hangover and she asked the waiter for olives because she really needed the salt. And we just absolutely, like those of us that watch Peep Show, just <laughs> fell about laughing and she couldn't understand why. We were trying to explain and she was not understanding it at all. And it was like, just just accept that that is very funny. Oh, that's amazing. I don't, I don't know how I would react if I heard somebody say that. <laughs> um, Hans then leaves the scene by saying that he is going to sprint to Londis. He's going to go for a little run. Yep, and... He pretty much just 
does like a little stretch and out the door he goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, then Jeremy turns to Mark and says that he is a little bit mad, isn't he? Yeah. And um, Mark just kind of blows this off and instead wants to talk about his own problems, which is um, he's worried that Dobby might still be in love with Simon. And Jeremy just is kind of like, no, no, I mean, yeah, I'm not really listening. Sorry. And uh, Mark says, and I'm worried that I might be. And Jeremy says, what? And he goes, and, and then Mark says, look, you know, the actual, the active intercourse. And Jeremy just is like fucking giddy here. Cause he's like, oh my God, you're asking me for sex tips. Pass me the kava and a big back, big pack of Tyrells. It's a girl's night in. And yeah, he's giddy here. Is this a conversation that two men would actually have? Never. Never no. in a million years. That's what no. I was thinking when I was watching this. No, I can't. I mean, all right, my, I'm not a man and my knowledge of male friendship is limited. But I think of like, I think of all the boyfriends I've had. I think of their relationships with their best friends, the interactions with them. And I just can't imagine it happening. I cannot imagine Phil and his best friend ever, ever talking about anything like this. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a guy friend that I'm close enough with that I would feel comfortable asking sex tips from no i mean literally like phil's best friend he they used to live together and we they shared a wall so i've heard some things from from his best friend we, you know, we've all heard some things we, there was a, <laughs> there was a very thin wall between us but i still don't think that they would sit down and have that conversation i'm really trying to think here and yeah i don't i don't see any reason that i would ever have this conversation with fucking anybody and also, Mark is like the most uptight man ever. It just seems really unlikely that he would be the one to instigate this conversation. I mean, maybe in like kind of a weird way, it's maybe he feels comfortable enough with Jeremy to ask him these questions. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he knows that Jeremy's completely open so he can ask him anything kind of thing. Yeah. Also, Jeremy is a pretty judgment-free guy, which also probably makes it a little bit easier for Mark to ask him I these guess kinds that's of true. questions. Yeah. If anyone's not going to judge you, it's Jeremy. He's no. done everything. He's seen it all. Yeah. Um, Mark wants to know the average amount of time, and then he he stops himself. He's like the mean, and then he's like, no, the mode or the median. Sting's probably thrown the mean out for everybody else. <laughs> and this is one of these things that always makes me laugh, too, because I can never remember the difference between mean mode and median. No, I've got no idea. I, I know it was in GCSE maths, but I, that's the last time I, I thought about this. I think median is like you would you put all the numbers in order and then the median is like literally the one that's in the middle, because I always seem to remember that it is like median middle. Right, I don't know. Yeah, I can never sense. remember the fucking difference between the three of them. Somebody will probably be like, ha, 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 you suck and don't know math, you <laughs> dumbass. Um, what, is the fact of Sting's sexual prowess well known in the US? Was that, that, was that something you understood? Uh, I understood it only because I, I was aware of his tantric sex. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a, it's a well-known, hor horrifying idea here that Sting is having... 20 hour sex sessions that's insane jesus christ oh, jesus you don't christ. want to think about that how he really how he really really it really doesn't help matters that sting really really looks like my granddad who is no longer with us now thank god but just it, the 
it's too much for my brain to comprehend. Uh, that's insane to me. Like, holy shit. Poor old Trudy. Oh my god, man. Mrs. Ding. Yeah, but hey, he has thrown the mean out for everybody. Yeah, no kidding, right? Jesus. <laughs> I think it's the mean, right? Yes, I think it is. He So Mark asks, you know, uh, about how long it takes for a guy to, you know, unleash hell. And uh, Jeremy says, well, it depends. It depends on where you are, if you get me. And Mark just does not want to hear about the bum. He's He tells Jeremy he knows that it all re revolves around the bum. And he tells Jeremy he's the Copernicus of, an of the anus. And <laughs> Jeremy responds, you've got to know the bum, Mark. Otherwise, it's like only cooking with the hob and never using the oven. <laughs> the bum is a secret <laughs> portal. <laughs> yeah, Mark isn't convinced by this, though. He thinks it's not much of a secret. And Jeremy then asks him if he's lost his dirty mojo. Now, do you think Mark ever had mojo to begin? Because him leaving his partners unfulfilled is kind of a running theme of the show. Yeah, he definitely never had a mojo. I always think this is a bit of an odd line because it's not like Mark at any point has been confident sexually or particularly just it, it's never seemed like mark enjoys the idea of sex like he's terrified of sex isn't he yeah i mean the only time he actually has somewhat enjoyable sex is basically when callie like holds him down and tells him you <laughs> what know what to do yeah what yeah. to do and um, but mark reveals at this point that he's bought something won't say what it is and then we cut to mark's bedroom and Jeremy saying blimey because Mark has revealed in his drawer that he's bought a massive dildo. I do think it's a little on the unfortunate side that we actually never got to see this whole like Mark actually going out to buy it. Yeah, definitely. Because I've written in my notes, where would you even buy this? This isn't an Ann Summers job. You've gone to Soho for that. Like this is a proper. This is not. This is not a a, a playful dildo. This is a proper beast of a thing. I wonder if he bought it online. He must have bought it online because the sort of sex shop you'd have to go in to buy that, Mark would die if he entered it. I think. <laughs> I'm a. I'm not even a. I'm not even that much of a prude, and going into sex shops terrifies me. I think it's it's different when you're in like an area where there are loads of them. So I think like I've been in sex shops in Soho. I've been in sex shops in Amsterdam because you know there's loads of them and that's what everyone's doing and it's tourism it's quite a different thing if you're going into some like seedy sex shop that's isolated from everything else on an a road <laughs> yeah he's bought a nine inch dildo and he says it's a nine incher it might spice things up but he finds it quite intimidating because it looks like a leg of lamb <laughs> <laughs> so he's decided that he's going to call it kenneth to take the curse off he explains to jeremy that it's, it sounds nicer. Shall I fetch Kenneth? This is my sexual associate, Kenneth. I don't think that sounds nicer. I think that sounds weirder. Yeah. Um, would it be too out of place to ask you how you would react if one of your partners pulled this thing out? I mean, I'm no prude. I've, I've, I've worked for a pornographic magazine. I've seen a lot of things. I would probably laugh, but that is not that is not how to turn the ladies on. I can tell you here and now, there is there are there is no woman who would be turned on by that. Oh my god, I know it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. It's aesthetically not pleasing. It it looks like something that a serial killer would pull out of their bag. And if you're calling it Kenneth to boot, no woman is going to be turned on by that mark. Well, you know the thing that also like really 
makes me laugh here is that this kind of a storyline would never fly on American TV. Oh, really? Would it be? It would be take cut. It would be on the. It wouldn't even be on the cutting room floor. It would be on the writers' room floor. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't even be able to run a story like this. I mean, it's just this. Our country. Well, I say our country. Like you live here, my country <laughs> is just. It's just too prude. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, <laughs> Jeremy asks if Kenneth has seen any action, and Mark says no. And he says it might be the sexiest thing ever, or it might be a massive disaster. Dobby might hate it. So for now, you stay in Briz Norton, Kenneth. I don't think you're ready to enter Hellmond yet. <laughs> and please explain this joke to me. So Hellmond is is a thing in Iraq, right? Is that a thing in Iraq? I don't know. Hell, Hellman province. I'm sure it's something. It's something to do with the war in Iraq. Let me check. Hellman, you should know this. You're the military guy. Well, I don't know what uh, Briz Norton is. Briz Norton is a British like military uh, post. Oh, okay. It is. Yeah, so it's in Afghanistan. Hellman is in Afghanistan. Gotcha. Wow, what uh, a. And it's. It's a very highbrow uh, joke for Mark. Well, I guess all of Mark's <laughs> jokes are high highbrow, but. Yeah, and Bryce Norton is, yeah, it's a military base in, uh, where is it? In Oxfordshire, yeah. Yeah, that's... That's the joke. Yeah, I thought that was a... Well, now that I get it, I think that's pretty goddamn funny, but I just always (laughs) thought it was... I thought, like, Briz Norton was, you know, like the... uh, Queen's summer house in... Helmand was like her winter house. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Um. We cut to the next scene, which is Mark and Jeremy walking down the street. And uh, Jeremy's asking Mark about his job. He's asking how it is, but he can't remember. He says, how's your work now? Is it still? But he can't remember if he likes it or not. Yeah, he just thinks to himself, good, bad. Does he like it there now? I've forgotten. And then just to finish the question, he just says, you know, and Mark just says, I despise every second of it. We are short staffed and Gail keeps making me do these extra shifts and she hates me since you tried to kill her. And Jeremy just casually says, yeah, sorry, man, my bad. <laughs> uh, he then suggests that Mark should tell her that he needs some time off because it's not doing his sex life any good. Um and Mark says, look, if I say that, I'll get fired. I don't want to be unemployed. Dobby's got this special look of pity that she... Oh, no, he doesn't say that, sorry. He says that he's got a girlfriend to impress. And once Sophie gets back from Wales, he's got a baby to impress. Yep. I really enjoy this next part, too, where Jeremy just says, Christ, Mark, you need to grow a pair of balls. Or grow a pair. And Mark says, of testicles. And then Jeremy says, yes, of course. And Mark says, oh, you want me to grow a pair of testicles? So I have four testicles. And somehow that make me braver and better able to deal with stress, staggering around like a baboon with four balls hanging down. <laughs> yeah, and he and Jeremy explains that Gail's fucking him over because she's so passive, and so he says you need to rip her a new one. And again, Mark pulls apart the semantics here, saying I need to tear a new anus. So she'd have two anuses, and then in this maddie world, I'd presumably put my four bollocks in her two anuses. <laughs> For some unknown reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, next scene after that, we are at Creative Music Merchandise, which I don't know. Has that been ever been announced that that's the name of Ben's company? It hasn't. This is the first time we, first and only time I think that we see the name of his company. You know what's really crazy 
is next episode is the last appearance of Ben. Is it? Yes. Nether Zone is the last appearance of Ben. Oh, yeah, so it is. For some reason, I felt like he was a much more overarching character than he actually turned out to be. But You're right, that's crazy. But uh, Yeah, because the next two episodes, Zara's in the last one, isn't she? But, yeah, he's not in them at all. Yep. He's mentioned in um, in the New Year's one, but he isn't seen. Nope. Um, Jeremy thinks that he's never fancied a girl with glasses before. And he wouldn't care if she had a limp or a funny elbow. He's so politically correct. He's a horny Gandhi. And I am um, exclusively only fancy glasses wearers. I was thinking about this. My last four boyfriends have all worn glasses. Oh. Nicole wore glasses when I met her, but then she got LASIK. So no more glasses for Nicole. Uh, there you go. I was wondering if this was, uh, if it was more common for men to wear glasses than women. And this was why. But then I thought about it and thought, no, I have gone out with a... a a weirdly skewed uh, number of glasses wearers. So there you are. <laughs> um, ben just sits down at the this desk with Jeremy and he just is, his creep factor is like amped up to a thousand here. He just says, you know, did you have a nice time at whatever the fuck film it was with Zara? And Jeremy's just like, yeah, nice movie, the colors, the women. And Ben says, it's a great arrangement we've got here, Jez. You take care of the brainy, arty crap she likes, and I take care of the physical side. Like, when she came back from Emily, and Jeremy corrects him, Amelie, and he says, uh, Ben continues, she was in this really good mood, all sparked up and receptive, so you can imagine what we got up to, yeah. And I'm just listening to Ben talk like this, and, I mean, maybe this is more common in, like, a small business setting, where you don't really have any recourse but like my first step after this would be to go to hr <laughs> yeah so uh the bit that really creeps me out is he says yeah you can imagine what we got up to and then he says it wasn't a long game of scrabble your glance isn't red raw after a long game of scrabble is it now just the use of the word glands there just it makes me feel it makes sick rise up in my throat it's just horrible the, oh like, yes i forgot oh, just ben, ben is such a creepy man Oh my god, I know. I forgot all about that. Your glance isn't red raw after a long game of Scrabble line. And I agree with you. If someone in my office started talking to me like this at school, I would definitely go to HR. Like, Or I'd be having a word with my boss, at least. Yeah. I wonder what... I guess he is the boss, though. I wonder how Sting avoids that problem. <laughs> Maybe we should tweet him and ask him. Yeah. Um... <laughs> at sting i have a friend named ben who has an issue um so kind of after this um ben just kind of looks jeremy directly in the eye and he says you don't fancy zara do you jez and jeremy just says no and ben says because that would be an extremely huge problem if you did and uh then he kind of moves on from there and he asks Jeremy if he would like to dabble a bit more on the A&R side, check out some new artists, a few extra quid in your pay pocket. And Jeremy's conflicted because he wants Ben to stop making his lovely job lovelier. Yeah, it's ironic for, for Jeremy, who's not a fan of work, that this is the perfect job for him that he seems to actually be good at without quite knowing how. But it does involve the working with of Ben, who is a shit. Yeah. Oh God, Ben is the worst. The f- um, the shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is um, the shit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, he then starts talking to Zara, who asks him um, if he's enjoying the work or... Yeah, he says, did, did, did Ben give you a pay rise? And he says he did. And Jeremy says that it's weird for him because he never thought he'd enjoy working because, and I've underlined this in my notes, when you work, you can't go back to bed until night time, which is completely how I feel about life. I'm nearly 33 years old and I've still not quite got to that point where in the mornings I don't think I would... I would happily just quit my job now if I didn't have to get... I hate getting up in the morning. It is the worst part of the day for me. Yeah, I made this vow to myself a long time ago that I would never work a job where I had to wake up before 7 o'clock. Oh, I, I wish I had that job. We get up at we get up at 20 past 5 to go to work on our, my work days, and it is just just evil. I know. It like will trip me out. Like It'll be midnight for me, and then all of a sudden I'll see you pop onto Facebook, and I'm like, oh... Wow, she's up Someone's early. Someone's up early. Yeah, it's, um, and the thing is, the irony is, is I still make this pact with the devil every morning that, like, I will quit my job, I will sell my house, I will give you my firstborn if you do not make me get up at this time. And I'm actually better at it than I used to be. Like, I've really improved at getting up in the morning. That's me. That's me improved at it. Uh, well, it's been hard for me because I changed my shift at work to one where I actually have to wake up at a decent hour. And that has been the biggest fucking change like oh my god it's been it's been crazy yeah my favorite job i ever had for for that for my actual natural body clock was i used to work in domino's pizza and i would start at like 6 p.m and end at 1 a.m and that was perfect for me that was like that was the time at which i'm most alive and then i would go to bed about 4 a.m and wake up at like 2 in the afternoon yeah, when I worked 2.15 to 11, I never had to set an alarm clock because I just would always wake up by about 10, 10.30. It's the dream. I wish I didn't have to have an alarm clock. So I'm with Jez on this one. Although, you know, the weird thing is, is when I was uh, on vacation a couple months ago, um, I was up at like 8 o'clock every day, but I was still going to bed at like 2 or 3 in the morning. <laughs> Were you like near the sea or something was it the country air <laughs> the country air yeah i don't know <laughs> i'll go with country air though um yeah zara invites jeremy out to go to the she's going to the tate modern for the richard avadon symposium on friday and jeremy says i was gonna go myself on sunday but yeah let's go together <laughs> I did have to Google this. I did not know who Richard Avedon was, did oh, you? Oh, no. I actually put in my notes, ask Laura who is Richard Avedon. <laughs> well, he's American, apparently. There you go. He was a fashion and portrait photographer who was well known for Audrey Hepburn's portraits. She was one of his muses. Oh, well, that's probably why I've never heard him, because I don't give a shit about fashion. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Jeremy agrees to go, but then thinks that he's out of his depth. Well, who's Richard Avedon? What's a symposium? Yeah. Um, at least he knows which day Friday is. That's something to cling on to. <laughs> we then skip to Mark at the Mexican restaurant in the kitchen, and he is taking a tablet because he has got a headache. Yeah, and so I discovered the name of the restaurant where they filmed all the Banditos stuff at. Um, the exterior shots of Banditos were filmed at one location and the interior shots were filmed at a second location. Okay. I was unable... Where do you find this shit out, Sean? IMDB. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Yeah, no, it's not like I'm some secret, like, uh, 
business ninja that just somehow <laughs> knows. I was going to say, like, you always know where these things are. Yeah, it's literally IMDb. Like, oh, okay. I wish I could. Oh, speaking of that, I got a response from Leisure Games about my questions about... Uh... Oh, you said, t tell us at the end. Yeah, tell us at the end. Okay, let me pull, let me pull it up real quick just so that I have it up and ready in my big dumb face. There it is. Okay. Um, but yeah, IMDb, they it'll give a list of locations of where they film stuff, and it'll actually even go one step further and tell you which scenes they were in, and which is nice. Um, but then usually I'll just Google the businesses. So I wish I could say it was some like ability i had to figure out where these businesses are but it's nothing that cool i swear <laughs> um so where were these shot oh uh so i just have hold on a minute i didn't boy i fucked up there and didn't write it down okay so hold on a second here i am db why didn't i write this down i don't know Hold on a second here. Sorry. This is great podcasting. That's all going to get edited out. <laughs> um, casting crew. Building and production. Okay. So the exterior scenes were shot at El Sombrero, which is on 281 High Street in Croydon. Right. Do you think El Sombrero is still open? I do not. You would be correct. It is not open. Now... This is the interesting thing. The interior shots were filmed at a place called El Vaquero, which means the cowboy, at the London Equestrian Centre, Woolington Garth, Woodside Park, Finchley, London, England, United Kingdoms. I will be honest with you, looked fucking everywhere, could not find anything out about this place. So... I have That's weird. I I didn't even know we had an equestrian center which would have restaurants in it. That's strange. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Yeah. I like literally couldn't find anything else uh, about El Vaquero. Although I did not look for just strictly the London Equestrian Center. But yeah. So that was one place. I'm assuming that with the London Equestrian Center, there's probably, like, uh... I'm gonna say it's probably still open. El Vaquero. Hmm. hmm. How weird. And how weird that they shot the interior and the exterior in such different places. Yeah, I mean, I... Maybe the interior of El Sombrero just wasn't good for lighting? Yeah, yeah. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Mark thinks... Mark wonders if this is a tension headache, brain tumor, maybe a sexy, fascinating, roguish brain tumor, not with his luck. And then he decides that he wants to ask Gail if he'll take some time off. And before he can really get anything out, Gail just kind of kicks open the door and she says, Mark, what are you doing? You're needed. Order for that table of teenage piss tards. And <laughs> Mark is just like, right. And then he tries to ask Gail... You know, like, hey, I was wondering maybe whether me, my taking some holiday might. And before he can even finish it, Gail lists all the stuff that's going wrong. They've got two chests down. Abigail's got norovirus. And Merrick just took the tip of his little finger right off on the eve of his sister's wedding. So this is no time for him to skiv off. Yeah, um, Gail's horrible. I'd forgotten how horrible Gail is until 
we see her again here and it's like yeah girls are shit as well as well as ben being a shit oh um, god yeah yeah uh mark is upset by this he says that he thinks that he's good to know where he stands he knows where he stands exactly the same place as he did a second ago but quite a bit more upset he goes out onto the uh the floor of the restaurant and as he approaches the table he sees that the guy from the rogue trader the guy who sold him the fluffy dusters for 11 quid is one of the customers yeah and uh he wonders to himself is you know is his meal eleven dollars? And as he sets the food down in front of the guy, he's like, "The guy is says the rogue trader. What we'll call him, the rogue trader says, you know, do I know you?" And Mark says, "No, no." And um, <laughs> as Mark goes to walk away, he's the rogue trader says, "Oi, I never ordered this." And Mark tries to, you know, basically say, "Yeah, you did." And he says, "You ordered the burritos deluxe," and the rogue trader says, "No." burritos mexicano with jalapeno sauce which jalapeno is the correct way to pronounce it not jalapeno or whatever bullshit way he pronounces it yeah this really made me laugh so he says jalapeno uh, and when i in my previous life as a pizza slut when i worked at, i worked at both pizza Hut and domino's and, jesus you traitor uh, yeah, I know. And uh, the this is a very common way for the Cockney to pronounce jalapeno is jalapeno or jalapeno. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mark says, you know, oh, I'm afraid my colleague who took your order must have made a mistake. And Road Trader says, don't blame her. For fuck's sake, man. Man up. You're the one that brought me the food. And Mark is like, oh, true, but I was only following orders and rogue trader says don't blame a woman you fucking piece of dirt now fuck off and get back to the kitchen and get me what you should have done the first time mug and yeah i think even i think this is unrealistic that even the most unpleasant of uh customers probably wouldn't be that aggressive and if you were you could be thrown out i think yeah i know uh yeah the customer is not always right no uh, so Mark goes back into the kitchen and he thinks that he he's happy to get the jalapeno sauce, but it's going to have his hot yellow piss in it. So not for the first time in Peep Show, Mark decides to make the decision to use his piss to get revenge on someone who has fucked him off in the workplace. Yeah, Mark is a very piss-oriented revenger. <laughs> or he's a revenge pisser. Mark is a yeah, revenge pisser. He is a revenge pisser. He decides to piss in the sauce by getting a chair, stands on it, and goes to piss in the sauce on the hob, uh, but he finds that he can't actually go once he is in the position to do it. Yeah, and then Gail just comes in, and um, she just looks at him, and she says, Mark, and he just goes, am I sacked? Should I go? I bet I'm sacked. <laughs> now, here was one, one thought I had in my mind. I think Mark could have played this off. I really do. How? Okay, well, he hadn't pissed. So there, the food wasn't contaminated. He had his back to Gail, so it's not like she could exactly see his dick hanging out. So all he had, all he would have had to do is like go, "Oh yeah, I'm reaching for this jar of pickles," and grab the pickles, and then with like one, the hand on the opposite side of Gail, like zipped his pants back up. No harm, no foul. What's he going to have said he was doing, though? He was sta- He couldn't reach the pickles, and he had to stand up on the basket to reach the pickles. Mm, okay, yeah, I guess he could have styled it out. He probably could have 
he probably could have had more of a chance of silent it out than just immediately saying, are you going to sack me? <laughs> yeah. Um, next, we go back to Apollo House and it's we've got Mark and Jeremy and Mark is super depressed because he says that Do- Dobby will definitely dump him now. Yes, uh, she's got a won't be able to go away for her birthday and uh, she's got a special look of pity that she keeps for unemployed people. Um, and he sort of does it. And <laughs> Jeremy says that he doesn't think that's uh, sympathy, more empathy. Uh, one of the one pathies. Of the, one of the pathies. Yeah, the pathies are nice. Yeah. And um, Mark is worried about not having enough money to go away for her birthday now. And he's worried that they're going to be stuck at his apartment with their own brand, Couscous and Wallander. <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, and then jerry says don't worry because zara has a saying that saying is the only thing we have to fear is fear itself and yeah this is, it's clever isn't it yeah stealing that from john f kennedy <laughs> yeah an american and mark, dis- mark disagrees damn americans mark disagrees with this he says well what about losing your money shit is every public the tabloid press mistaking me out and you as a pedo alzheimer's all of those things plus you're drowning and jeremy just sort of ignores this and said but it's a clever saying Yep, and then Mark realizes what's happening here, that Jeremy is in love with Zara. I would have thought he would have realized that in St. Hospital. Yes, and if he knows all the things he's been doing, like going to Amelie and stuff, I would have thought he would have worked it out, but maybe he's just not been paying attention. Yeah. Um, Mark tells him, Mark tells Jeremy that he's playing with fire, and <laughs> Jeremy says, no, I'm not. I'm playing with the opposite of fire, and Mark just says, water. <laughs> and Jeremy says... But- Exactly. Thank you, because obviously I fancy Zara, but I want to keep my nice job, so I've decided to just be in love with her mind. A pure and modest, beautiful love. Yep. Um, Just at this moment, though, his phone rings, and he answers it, and it is Hans, who is in a bit of a state, says he needs to come and get him because he's accidentally run to Windsor. Would you like to know where they actually were? Uh, Yes, where were they? Uh, like you can see the castle. Are they not in Windsor? There's a castle in the background. Uh, hold on a minute here. Again, I had closed the screen out before. They were at Notting Hill in London, England. Oh, okay. Maybe I imagine the castle in the it background. Maybe there's something that looks Saint, castle-y. St. Luke's Muse? Oh, okay. So there's like a church or something in the background. All right. I just I saw something that looked like a castle when I filled in my own blanks. <laughs> yeah. And um, if you if you would like to know how far that is, that is forty eight point two miles that Hans has run to Windsor. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, he says that um, the endorphins kicked in and he just couldn't stop. Um, <laughs> Jeremy tells him to find a bit of poly polythene or something to pull over yourself in a bit of waste ground, and I'm sure you'll feel fine in the morning. And Hans just says, "My legs are gone, man. I'm jelly. I'm paralyzed." It feels fucking brilliant. <laughs> this really made me laugh. Um, it reminded me of, so I had, as you know, I had pneumonia about two months ago. And as I was recovering from pneumonia, just when I was, I was just about better, to be fair. I'd just gone back to work that week. And me and my sister went to a gig at Alexandra Palace, which is right at the top of a hill. And I'd, I was not, I did not have my best. I was still on antibiotics. I had an asthma pump. And really this hill was more than I could manage. And I got to the top of the hill and I couldn't feel my legs properly. And I had to take this asthma pump. And I thought, oh, I can't feel my legs. But then, like, the endorphins kicked in. And I felt really good. And I thought of, I thought of hands at that point. So I can see how maybe it might feel nice. Yeah, they call that a runner's high. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pleasant. Yep. Um, 
Next, we are at a bookstore, and I am sorry I couldn't find anything else about this bookstore. It is not listed on IMDb, which, I'll be honest, like, uh, pretty much shocked me that this information wasn't on IMDb, but, you know, whatever. There you go. Maybe it was just like a generic Baldur's or something. Zara walks up to Jeremy with a book, and she just says, Oh, this is a great book. I adore magic realism don't you? And Jeremy says he loves it. And she says, you know, guys don't usually get it as a genre. Do you know anything about magic realism? I do, because I've got an English degree. Do you know anything about magic realism? I, I know zero about magic realism. So, like, basically, magical realism is where everything is as it is in our world, but there's an, a magical element. So... A good example of this is Love in the Time of Cholera by... Gabriel Garcia Marquez, but I'm guessing if you don't know what magical realism is, you probably haven't read that book. Would, I mean, I, this might sound basic and people might laugh at me. Would Harry Potter be like magic realism? No, because their world is different from ours. So magical realism is where, I'm probably not explaining it very well, but magical realism is where everything's the same, but then there's some sort of weird thing that happens so hang on i'm going to go to the wikipedia article because i bet they'll explain it better than i am uh, a primarily realistic view of the real world that adds or reveals magical elements um as often got conventions of fables myths and allegory so i know you don't watch jane the virgin but jane the virgin is a really good example of magical realism because it's exactly the same as our world it's realistic like you can't time travel or no one's a wizard or anything like that but occasionally these magical elements happen normally when she's writing that we see and that are like connected normally to biblical happenings oh okay so green mile by stephen king amelie yeah okay yeah Yeah. birdman oh okay all right yeah yeah okay that's this makes sense that makes sense to me yeah it's not something um i don't really get it i'm 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 clearly more male in my reading habits but i don't really get it it's really it's a really big thing in like latin culture and things like that but it's not something generally in western culture that we are that we do or are familiar with interesting okay huh i yeah huh interesting Mm. um (laughs) let's see here but jeremy loves it yeah jeremy (laughs) loves it he thinks it's the best ever um he also jeremy also talks about this brilliant novel he's been reading lately which is about a man and a woman but it's not set here it's set in iran (laughs) and the woman is with somebody who is the man's um not boss but his baseball coach and he really wants to stay on the team the man but he also really wants to hook up together with the attractive woman uh laura have you heard of this book I have. It's called Baseball Man. Baseball Man. Okay, great. Yeah, I need to read that. I, I love that. I love that she doesn't call him out on it either. She just sort of goes like, oh, okay. Yeah. Although I feel like that that's kind of like a pseudo intellectual thing to do is just to be like, hmm, yeah, some baseball yeah, I, man. I, yeah, I, I think it is too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we find out that... Uh, the book club you know paul can't host it because he's ill and ben's holding his poker game at ben and zara's place 
which I'm surprised Ben has enough friends to actually play poker with, and I bet he is the worst fucking person to play poker with. Jesus yeah. Christ. What a wanker. I bet he becomes as soon as poker is happening. Oh, God. I can. I bet he's, like, the kind of guy that, you know, um, he gets, like, bluffed or something like that, and he's just like, oh, you fucking asshole, and, you know, just goes Throws crazy. Throws cards in the air. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I bet he's fucking un bearable to play poker with <laughs> Ugh. um but because that can't happen they've got nowhere to host it so um jeremy offers to fill in says you could have the book group at my place and i could fill in for paul yeah and uh <laughs> yes and uh zara says well you know you'd have to read the book pretty fast and he just says oh sure no worries and he thinks to himself i hope it's mr nice i've read mr nice and as we know from Mastermind, the book instead that they are reading is Wuthering Heights. Yes, even Jez would have heard of Wuthering Heights, right? I've never heard of Wuthering Heights. Okay. Is it then, good? It's really famous. It's really famous here, anyway. It's um, it's Emily Bronte's one and only novel. And yeah, it's really fucking famous. I can't believe that Jeremy wouldn't have heard of it. If you've not heard of it, now I'm wondering. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's about to be serialised on Radio 4 from tomorrow because it's the 200th anniversary of Emily Bronte's birth. So maybe you could listen to that and find out all about it. I bet Nicole's read Wuthering Heights. I bet she has. I think she's an Emily Bronson fan. I... I, I, okay, so I'm going to revise what I thought here, then. But I thought that even Jez would have heard of Wuthering Heights. He says, it doesn't sound like another Howard Marks book, but fingers crossed it is. Yep. And then Zara says, okay, well, well then, why don't we? And Jeremy just thinks to himself, fuck hard right here and then kill Ben. And she says, grab a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Um, we then move on to the next scene where we are uh, in the bedroom with Mark and Dobby. And he is, Mark is thinking about whether or not Kenneth would be welcomed now. Yeah. And uh, he asks Davi, should I get the condom or, and Davi just says, okay, okay. And I, I don't know. I just think that's like, like little, like, you should probably just go get it and put it on and not ruin the mood, you creepy fuck. Or Yeah, not maybe... have a conversation about it. That's but maybe this is his maybe he's trying to get an in to talk about Kenny. Yeah, or you know, maybe have the condom on the bedside table ready to go so that he doesn't have to get out of bed or Yeah, or have him in your bedside drawer. Just normal normal things rather than just be a creepy weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. Um he's wondering if he should bust out Kenneth um, as he's digging through his um, dresser to get condoms, Dobby's phone beeps and she looks and it's a text from Simon. And I don't, I'd be interested to get to, I'd be interested to get your perspective on this, but as a guy, I'd be really annoyed if in the middle of, you know, getting busy, like my partner stopped to grab the phone to read a text message. Yeah, I guess it is kind of bad form, but maybe if you're expecting to hear from someone, maybe if she knew Simon's mum, she knew Simon's mum was ill, maybe she was expecting there to be bad. Yeah, I, I'm going to say it is quite bad form, but it's 
maybe it's there's extenuating circumstances. Sure, we'll we'll go with that. We'll, we'll give it the benefit of the doubt. We'll give yeah. it the benefit of the doubt. Um, and you know, she just looks up at at Mark and she says, "Oh." his mom's died and Mark says you're off duty Kenneth stand at ease and she asks if it's all right if she can go over now to see Simon and Mark wonders if he could say my mom's dead would Dobby maybe believe that long enough for me to go to my home and shoot my mom uh and then Dobby says you know I do understand it's weird for us so if you'd rather I didn't go you should go and as I was watching the scene I just kept thinking to myself like you know I think I probably would be okay if I letting her go because yeah, don't be a dickhead. Like we've all got, we've all got people who, when we think about them with our partner, like we're a bit jealous. So it's probably normally it's like the last partner they had before you or someone that you know knew broke their heart. But I think if Phil's ex girlfriend's mum had died, I would be nice about it. I think I've got it in me to be okay with that. I don't think he's going to run off with her. I think he would just be being nice. Yeah. I mean, you guys also are married too. That's so. true. I guess maybe at the start of our relationship, it would have been different. So there was a girl that was like, had been, she had been seeing previously to me. And I do remember getting really annoyed whenever her name was mentioned. And I had like a, I had a cruel nickname for her and things like that. So I'm not above jealousy myself, you know. Yeah, it's, was it sausage munch? In there. Did you write it down <laughs> on paper and wrap it up in sausage and call her a sausage muncher? No, it was because she had a really fancy name, which I won't say on air, but she, her fancy name was, it was silly. It was, it was too much of a name for a normal person. So I used to call her Esmeralda because that's an equally stupid name that no adult woman should have. And I was very mean and used to ask if you'd heard from Esmeralda recently. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you're so evil. It's so evil. But yeah, so I do get it. I do get where Mark's coming from. But I think on this occasion, as Simon's mum has died, he needs to just suck it up and be, be the bigger man. Yeah. As Dobby's walking out, she just looks at Mark and she just says, oh, it's really tragic, isn't it? And... Dobby says, or Mark says, yes, very tragic indeed. And Dobby says, but on the bright side, his mom was loaded, so Simon's going to be very well off. And Mark thinks, oh, wonderful, young, good-looking, sexy, and now rich. Perhaps the fucker can also teleport. And as Dobby walks out, Jeremy walks into the apartment with a book in his hand. Yes, um, and Mark says, is that a book, Jeremy? And Jeremy is incredulous. He's like, yes, of course, it's a book. Why shouldn't it be a book? And Mark says, why have you got it? And Jeremy says, well, I'm going to read it. And he's Jer and Mark says, well, you hate reading. And <laughs> Jeremy says he doesn't. He loves reading because he read Mr. Nice four times. And he read The Bunny Suicides, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is obviously amuses Mark. And then Jeremy explains that he's offered to host Zara's book group. But now Ben's come in because he's got jealous. And he has got to defeat him mentally by understanding Wuthering Heights better than Ben does. Yep. Um, and then he kind of scrolls through the book and he's like, so I'm going to read all of this book from page one to, and he like thumbs through the book and he's like, oh shit, 372. <laughs> um, the next scene I just think is really funny. Uh, Mark, much like we talked last week where 
when Jeremy gets any like little bit of power, he kind of goes off the deep end. Mark also kind of has a similar character trait that I fucking that I love as well. And um, he walks in and Jeremy is like desperately trying to read this book and he looks at Mark and he just says, I, I look at the words, I read the words, but then I get distracted or don't quite take it in and I have to go back. I've been on the same four pages for three hours and I just wrote my own notes. I can emp- empathize with this so goddamn hard it's unreal. I wrote in my notes, welcome to an English degree. <laughs> <laughs> So as as a student of English literature, I was asked to read a lot of books that I probably wouldn't have chosen myself. And this really reminded me of the week we had to read Moby Dick, which for those of us you're not familiar, is a very, very fucking thick book indeed. And we had a week to read it. And I just remember, so all my housemates were English students. Most of my friends were English students. And we just spent the week texting each other or in pubs saying, how could you possibly read this book? It's ridiculous. I, I, I start it, but I can't possibly continue with it. And that's all we did for a week. And I don't think I knew anyone that did, got past about chapter three. Yeah. I don't think I've ever read Moby Dick. Um, I had a friend in high school. I'm who... sure you haven't read Moby Dick. I'm going to say, if you haven't heard of Wuthering Heights, you probably haven't read Moby Dick. Whoa. <laughs> Only because it's so long. It's not a book you would pick up. Well, I'm going to fucking read it now. Thank you very much. <laughs> Did you hear me slam my hand? Uh, ham. Oh, is that what you were doing? Yeah. My hand. Um, I don't know how many pages it is. Hang on, I'm going to look into seeing how many chapters there are in Moby Dick. But honestly, it is. It's a beast of a thing. Jeremy asks Mark, "How do you read? Can you teach me how to read?" And Mark just looks at him like with a look in his eye, like, "You want me to teach you to read?" And Jeremy <laughs> says, "Yes, but not literally." And I was so happy that he actually used literally in a correct context. <laughs> <laughs> so he asks how he concentrates and Mark explains that he needs to turn the telly off and he says that basically you need to look at it and when you feel like you want to look away don't look away and this was so so close to home for me because I say this to kids maybe seven times a week like this is kids just do not have the attention span anymore for reading books and the amount of times I say you need to learn how to read a book. You just need to concentrate on it. You need to not have any other distractions. I love this when Mark says, let's start with this long paragraph. You probably feel like looking away from the page right now, don't you? And Jeremy just says, yes. And Mark says, don't look away. Stay with it. Stay with it. Fascinating. It's like watching a sheep trying to use an iPhone. <laughs> so then... Um... He says it's too difficult. The book is told, but the story is told first by a man, then by a woman, and then by no one, which is exactly right. That is exactly sums up Wuthering Heights. That is how the narration works. And he says, why can't I read something simple like Mr. Nice? And Mark mocks him for this and says, well, okay, talk about Mr. Nice then. Talk about all the times Mr. Nice got high. But Jeremy knows this isn't going to be what impresses Zara and defeats Ben. So he says he's going to go sit on the balcony in the cold to finish the book. Yep. And uh, very next scene, we are in Mark's bedroom, and Mark is fast asleep, and Jeremy, you know, tries to, like, crawls into the bed with Mark, and Mark is like, oh my god, you are so fucking cold. (laughs) And I did this once, too. Um, I had an exam on Wordsworth, and me and my friend decided the best way to revise for it would be to get pissed and stay up all night. 
that didn't work. So when we started to feel kind of drowsy from the being so drunk, we decided to go and sit in the garden to revise. So that's what we did. We sat in the garden all night and revised Wordsworth and then went to the exam the next morning. Oh, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> Mark, uh, uh, Jeremy says that he'll do Mark's washing up every day until he dies, and then his children will do the washing up after that. Mark <laughs> is able to figure out a more equitable arrangement where he says, look, I'm broke, and you're relatively moneyed. So, and then before he can finish, Jeremy says, are we doing a deal, a grubby deal, like oilmen or corrupt counselors? And Mark just says, yeah, don't be scared of deals. Deals happen all the time. And Jeremy calls him a prostitute, and Mark says that he is not a prostitute and to get the fuck out of his bed. Yeah. The thing is, is that this could be so easily solved by Jeremy himself if he just Googled Wuthering Heights. Like, it's a book that's on every curriculum, high school's up and down the world, English-speaking world. Like, he could just Google it and find a synopsis or watch a cartoon version on YouTube and that'd be enough. Like, he'd know enough about it. Yeah. Yeah, but instead he, uh, he just begs Mark to do it and Mark agrees to do it. Yeah. So we skip to the next scene, which is the night of the uh, book group and uh, Dobby is being intolerable talking about how she's got Pringle hand and this bit makes me want to punch her in the face and oh, they are too. talking <laughs> they are talking about the birthday weekend um, and Mark is saying that it's still going ahead if she still wants to go. Yep, and she just, you know, says, but you're unemployed, you can't afford that and Mark is just like, oh, don't be silly, I'll be fine. Yeah, um, he then says, she then says that don't, don't be silly that um, you don't have to do that like to impress me more or less because you know don't be don't be thinking that anything happened with Simon he was sad his mum died I made him a boiled egg but that was all and then she says stop waiting for this to blow up because it's not going to unless you detonate your mad paranoid bomb vest yep and I love that she, line yeah which is a great line and then she says that they should ditch the book freaks and go back to her place because he looks like he should be in bed he says he is very tired and then he catches on to what she means yeah and then of course at this point oh by the way i looked up who rod hole was that was why i laughed oh yeah with his little puppet on his hand yeah it made perfect sense why what she was talking about now i believe um, rod hole had a comical death as well i believe he fell off a roof when he was trying to change his television aerial or something like that let yep, me just that check is, i'm not made but is that right yeah yep, that is 100 percent right he died like he lived making people laugh yep and uh Let's see here. And so at this point, Jez comes in and says, you know, that they're ready. And Mark, being a total dickhead here, just is like, yeah, I can't do the book group. And Jeremy just looks terrified. He's like, no, Mark, we made a deal. Remember, you've got to defeat Ben for me. And Mark just says, I need to renege on the deal. Now, if he's going to renege on this deal, how is he going to be able to afford to take Dobby on vacation? I'm guessing Jeremy's already given him the money. And to be fair to Mark, isn't this exactly the sort of thing that Jeremy would do? I think he's just given Jeremy a taste of his own medicine here. Yes, I agree, but it still seems like a pretty shitty thing to do. Oh, it's an absolute dick move, but I think it's just Mark paying Jeremy back for the years and years of uh, of him doing exactly that sort of thing. Yep. Um so Jeremy just decides to walk in and 
into the living room and just give it the old college try. And Zara says, Jeremy, we thought we'd let you start as it's your place. And Jeremy goes, or thinks to himself, you know, we're letting you castrate yourself as it's your penknife. Away you go. <laughs> and he initially kind of tries to like kind of stammer through it. Can I compare it to another love story, the film love story? And he just starts, well, as a love story. And before he can even see anything else, Ben just interrupts him. And he's you know, talking about how it's a fucking fuck story. It's about animal lusts and earth and dirt and fluids. Not love, art, companionship, and all that rubbish. Um, the doorbell rings. It's Mark answers the door. It's super hands. He says crack. He's got a giant, like, two-by-four in his hand. <laughs> Um, yeah, and uh, Mark, without even saying anything, just hands him over the crack and says, there you go. Yep. And uh, <laughs> we cut back to the living room and Ben is still going on. Wuthering Heights is so obviously an exploration of, you know, wild elemental forces. And Mark leans over to Dobby and he whispered, Jeremy's right. He's a shit. Can we go in about five minutes? And Dobby kind of nods her head. So Mark walks into the living room and he begins to quote the same thing that Ben is quoting, which was some essay, you know, well-known online essay on Wuthering Heights. And Ben has been called out as like the pseudo intellectual that he is. Yeah. And Jeremy's happy because he thinks, great, he's going into bat for me. And Mark just absolutely knocks it out of the park here. He says uh, that, this is the proof that you've not understood the book at all. Wuthering Heights is not him to lust and passions, but is in fact uh, how it's a story about how ultimately life has to give way to real life and real love. And that is what the book's really about. And everyone at the book group is stunned into silence by Mark's intellectualism. Yeah. And Mark thinks that this is what he was born to do. This is like if Robert Robinson fucked joan bakewell and they had me and all i can think of every time i hear this name is rob robinson <laughs> um ben just says right screw this i'm off bunch of fucking suits and all i could think of is no no it is you who is the suit you fucking piece of shit yeah um zara kind of says she's obviously embarrassed by this she says right should we call off put our big hot brains on ice and um, Dobby and Mark decide to leave. And and uh, as he, as Mark tells Jeremy that he's off, he says that they're going to go to Dobby's and he doesn't think he's going to be needing Kenneth. He doesn't think he needs to be friends with Kenneth anymore. Yep. And I love this because all it took was Mark to get some confidence behind him by, you know, uh, annihilating Ben. And that cleared all of his sexual problems. Yep, that's all he needed was to just feel like a real man, I guess. To feel manly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could kind of see how this could be the root cause of all a person's sexual problems. But I don't, you know, sure, whatever. Yeah, it's, um, it's nice that Mark has got his confidence back just by annihilating Ben. That's nice, that's sweet. Yep. I suppose. Yep. And then as Mark leaves, uh, Jeremy just turns and looks uh, to the everybody and says, Kenneth is what Mark calls his nine-inch dildo. And <laughs> then, boom, end of the episode. End of the episode. 
So where do you think I put this? I know I promised to give you my list and I was I promised I was going to. And then on Thursday night when I was going to do it, I spent the night in A&E with Sadie. So that was mm. why. I promise it's happening. I've half typed it. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I'm going to go with... Have we done 35 yet? We have not done 30. Oh, have we? Yes, we have done 35. No, we haven't. No, sorry. We haven't done 35. Okay, I'm going with 35 then. You're not far off. Number 39 this was. Oh, yeah. See? Like... Yeah. Which I was I was kind of surprised when I looked initially because I thought I liked it more than 39. And then I thought, no, it probably deserves to be about there. I might put it a little bit higher if I was going to be... Um, do do my list again but i think it probably deserves to be in that kind of middle third bottom of the middle third yeah well that's it's got it's got some very funny moments but not i don't know it's not consistently funny enough yeah no that's that's kind of how i felt i felt that mark's story was like i felt like mark's story was really really flat until the last i don't know two three minutes of it yeah, it felt a bit like I was trudging through that storyline with Mark a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I think Kenneth is a little bit funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I thought like that Jeremy's storyline was much better. So Yeah, the whole Jeremy stuff and the stuff with Superhands was much funnier. I know, obviously, they've got to have a storyline for Mark. So that's why. But it just wasn't... His stuff just wasn't that funny. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's all I really had to say about that episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, have you been watching anything else this week? Uh, I will be honest, I have not really watched much TV this week outside of my kind of, my big three of WWE and Survivor. So it's been kind of a, kind of a down week for me uh, as far as TV goes. Um, it's mainly listening to podcasts. Um, I was dying laughing at our... We only have one entry in our Blair on a Bear contest, but we're going to like let it go for another week because I'd really like at least one, maybe two more entries. Um, yeah, if anyone's got any, that would be great because the, the one we've had, like you say, was brilliant. And you sent it to me while I was in a meeting at work and I opened it in the meeting and had to really stifle a laugh and it was like, what's, what's on your phone? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean like even if you think it's gonna be shit like i'll be honest with you like i dabble with photoshop and i know that i'm not that good but when i do things like when i created our logo using photoshop like i was like wow you know that doesn't look half bad so like seriously just like let your creative energy go and just come up with something like it'll be fine like worst... i'm gonna go one step further than that and say I want to see some purposefully shit stuff. I want to see something that someone's made on MS Paint. Like, that's oh, the level yeah. of shit I want to see. Yeah, 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 MS Paint. Yeah, it doesn't need to be Photoshop. Like, yeah, if you <laughs> just want to, like, maybe draw with your mouse or something, like, yeah, go ahead. Make it happen. Make it happen. Um, I also, again, would like to thank our Patreon subscribers who help provide an ad-free listening experience to all of our listeners. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. All right. Um, and I understand. Did you want to talk about Eurovision? The main event, Eurovision. This was yeah, my first. Yeah, I understand. This was your first ever Eurovision. It was my first ever Eurovision. And I have to say, I fucking really enjoyed it. What, um, 
like do do people know what Eurovision is over there? Like what are your what were your what were your thoughts going in? What did you think it was? Because it's um, so weird. It's so odd. You can't explain it really. If you try and explain what it is, it doesn't really make sense. So basically some of Nicole's friends really enjoy Eurovision and they had watched it last year. And so I was vaguely aware of what it was, but I was actually thinking that it was more going to be more akin to like American Idol or The Voice or something like that. Where there yeah, was... it's way less slick than that. But I was impressed with the caliber of singers. Like I didn't realize that they were actually having legit like, you know, like that the woman that won Netta from Israel is like a legit singer. I was thinking this was more like you know, like, amateur singers. Right, yeah, no, no, because sometimes they're actually, like, pop stars in their own countries. Yeah, like, Suri from Great Britain. Yeah, she's she's not a pop star from our country. But... Oh, I thought... <laughs> oh, I guess, so she's not, like, well-known or anything? No, I don't know what her deal has been before, but she, um... Certainly, hang on. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this to check. I'm not making a fool of myself, but she's not. No, she's not a well known artiste oh. over here. Who is Suri? Here we go. Uh, she's an actress. She is everything you need to know about Suri. She's lovely pink hair. Oh well. Uh, okay, I stand. She's been singing since she was twelve. She's released. She's, she's released two albums. Oh, okay, so she's a graduate from the Royal Academy of Music, and she has done some, she's done some more, like, classically stuff. So she's, I think she's a serious musician, rather than a, and she's done, like, she's been a choral singer, and she's done backing singing, and she's in, she's performed at St Paul's Cathedral in the choir. So I think she's like a, she's like a proper musician, rather than a, pop singer so this is her first foray into popular music i think so then does each country have kind of their own like american idol type deal where they decide who to send yeah so we have it's called eurovision you decide and it goes on over like a couple of months and it's yeah and it's kind of like a singing competition for us to decide who is going to represent us oh man i just thought i like the thing that impressed me most about eurovision was the fact that they got through 26 performances in, like, a little over two hours. You know, yeah, where... with only, like, one major stage invasion. Yeah, and it was, like, song, you know, two to three minutes between, song, two to three minutes between. Like, I was really impressed with how they were able to kick up or pick up the pace, or keep the pace up, I should say. And everybody, I thought, was incredibly talented um i really like moldova the ones that did the um kind of like swing dance yes yeah that was good me and my so i was meant to be watching it with a friend and um, but her son got chicken pox so i couldn't go around there to watch it which is what we were gonna do so we were texting throughout the performance and our favorite one was i believe the czech republic who oh were, my god the... um, like school kids yes <laughs> it was, i tweeted it that i had mental yeah, I tweeted that I had a huge man crush on that kid. <laughs> and I think, I can't remember, maybe it was Bulgaria. There was another one where it was a man and a woman. And they looked like children's TV presenters. And also really enjoyed that one. Because they just looked like they were straight off children's TV. Oh, yeah. They were they were excellent. I thought France was fucking amazing too. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, they were good. Um, you're right, though. The Calibre is, like, they are all talented performers. But what's kind of weird, I think, is, and probably you saw that being American, is that, like, Europe is quite is quite different to us in terms of, like, fashion. And it all seems a bit kind of, sometimes it seems a bit outdated. It seems like they're sort of 10 years behind us. Yeah, I did notice that, too. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? The part that uh, was a little, like okay, I'm ready to get through this, was when they went through all 43 fucking countries' 12-point song winner. Yeah, and I think I said to you off-air that that used to be much worse, so now it's like there's a faster way of doing it, so they decide how many... The lower points, they decide how many they've given, and it's automated, and it goes on the board. Whereas back in the day they used to sort of go through all the points and you'd be like, Jesus Christ, going to kill me now. This television link from Moldova is really, is really trying me for six minutes. And you do that for all 46 countries. Yeah. And one other thing I liked too, was that it was oddly apolitical. Like, yeah, there wasn't, I, I didn't feel like that there was a lot of like politics involved and, you know, that it was really like a celebration of music and it wasn't like, oh, you know, this country's an asshole, this country's an asshole. Yeah, I mean, we've had our moments because, like, so 2003, after we got into bed with you guys in uh, in Iraq, we got no points, and it was very clear why we got no points. So there have been points in our history where it's not been as apolitical, but generally, like, the idea is that we keep politics out of it. Yeah, I mean, I did feel like that there were some people who probably didn't vote for Israel for reasons, but... Yeah, and there's always, like, so this year Russia weren't in it because they didn't make the grand final, but, um, like, neighbouring countries often vote for each other and Russia are well-known for kind of voting for their political allies and stuff. So, But I guess we do as well because we always give lots of points to Ireland who are our kind of, like, friend. So, you know, yeah, there's always, you're always going to vote for your pals. Yep. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I definitely think that I'll be watching Eurovision next year um logo tv the tv channel that carried it over here made it incredibly easy for an american to watch that they streamed it on their facebook page totally legal um yeah it was great i loved it i watched it i had it on my tv while i was cooking how do you um, work how does it work for you with um who does the like narration was there an american no no it was the I believe it was the UK narration. Oh, okay. So it was Graham Norton. I was going to say, because Graham Norton's the guy you want to listen no, to doing it, the narration. Maybe it wasn't Graham Norton. Because if I mean, he's really funny and he really like takes the piss out of it. So if you can find the British version that's got like him doing the narration, it, it's worth finding. Yeah. You know, I actually don't know who, who it was, to be honest with you. It was clearly someone English speaking, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. We've established you can't speak French, so yeah. it wasn't someone speaking one of the other languages. It's so weird as well, isn't it, how so many of the acts are in English, even though they're not yes. English-speaking countries. Yes, I thought that that was something that was just, you know, even like the guy from like the country music guy from the Netherlands or wherever the fuck he was from, you know saying in english and i was like that's interesting yeah it's really weird there's always one act that gets under your skin though and i urge anyone who has not heard it to go and look for the bosnian entry from 2011 i've been singing that song for seven years i don't know I, it was in it was in bosnian so i've got no idea what they were singing yeah. but 
it's a fucking great tune. Yeah. All right, and with that, we will be back next week with Nether Zone, a episode that I really adore. Yep, looking so, forward to talking about that with you, and yeah. I hope that you all have a great week until then. Yeah. Oh, uh, and of course, of course, before we meet again, our two great nations are going to come together in the act of holy matrimony. I hope you're going to be watching. Oh, really? Oh, wait, so the uh, the big date got announced? The, the royal wedding is on Saturday. Oh, well, I hope there's no knife stabbings. <laughs> Yeah, she would do well to have a a, a knife-proof vest under a wedding dress, I would say. Yep. <laughs> All right, and with that, okay. I have to right, say, then. Adaman. Adaman. <laughs> eh, eh. See you later. Bye. Bye. I'm almost certainly going to have to go... Yeah, I'm almost certainly going to go through ten attempts to send this to you again, so I will try I'll try just to send it now. I am in loco parentis. I am the last remaining contestant on The Apprentice. I am the home trained dentist. Ay, 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 ay,